Welcome to the Fitness Simplified Podcast. On today's episode, I speak with Dana Sukow. Dana is an activist specializing in eating disorder prevention. She also educates both parents and teachers on how to raise body-confident children. Today, Dana and I speak about diet culture, what it is, how it is affecting all of us, including our children, and what we can do about it. Hello. 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 Thank you. I'm so sorry that that I'm, thank you. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) No problem. I'm so glad you were able to join us here on the Fitness Simplified podcast. Welcome. Yes. Thrilled to have you. Yes. I'm so excited to be on. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I think you're wonderful and I'm so excited to talk with you. Oh, well, thank you. So Dana, for those who don't know you, which is going to be most of my audience, I'm assuming, please introduce yourself a bit. Tell us who you are and what you do. Uh, Yeah. So uh, my name is Dana Sukow and I am a a speaker and an activist. I like to, I like to say that I'm an activist around eating disorders. Um, I do training. I do one-on-one training with parents, teachers, uh, caregivers. Basically, my work is in eating disorder prevention, and I like to give parents and teachers the tools on how to raise body-confident kids without eating disorders. Um, A little bit about my story. I started online years ago as a fashion blogger, but I also had an eating disorder, and I was struggling with over-exercising. I was struggling with bulimia. And through the years with my recovery, I started coming clean to my readers and I started realizing that fashion blogging was just, it didn't align with who I was. You know, I had people commenting saying, ideal body, you look beautiful. I wish I was you. And I was Photoshopping my photos or, Mm. you know, I would be crying in bed, eating food while reading these beautiful comments about who I was. And it just, I, I started feeling like I was just living a very contradictory life to what was being shown online. So I kind of embraced Uh, being authentic and being vulnerable and revealing really what was going on with me. Uh, And through that, through the years with my recovery, it got to the point where I felt like I had really come so far and I was ready to help other people um, not hurt in that same way and be able to use the tools that I've learned over the years and give them to people to help them prevent what I went through. Amazing. That's amazing. And so I know Dana because I've spent time recently coaching with her. Now I want to be clear. Dana was coaching me. I am a coach. I was not coaching Dana. To be very clear how this conversation works, Dana has been coaching me one-on-one. I found her on Instagram and as a mom of a teenage girl and doing what I do, being contacted by teenage girls a lot who clearly struggled with their body and how they felt about it. And with eating disorders, I was concerned. Uh, concerned. And so I reached out to Dana for some coaching so that I could help my own daughter and also um, those who I work with to be more confident in their bodies. And And I, I wanted to be confident in, in how to speak to my daughter about food and her body and fitness in this culture that we live in, which can um, be so negative mm-hmm. around those things. And so I wanted to bring some of the conversation we've been having here today yeah. um, so that all of you can benefit from it Absolutely. as well. Absolutely. So, so Dana, let's then talk about uh, diet culture. It's a term that people might might have heard. They might not be clear on what it is, but I think as you describe it, they're all going to recognize it like, yes, like that is my experience. Yeah. So yeah. talk to us. What is diet culture? So diet culture, it's, it's weird. You know, I, sometimes I talk to people about it and it just sounds like this 
ominous, you know, ghost thing that exists around us. But I want to put it into more concrete terms so that we can really point it out and say that's diet culture. That Mm -hmm. is, you know, that's what harmful diet culture is. And diet culture is literally a culture, a society that is obsessed with weight loss and that values weight loss over any other quality that a person can have. It values being thin over being happy. It values being thin over being kind or loving or compassionate or empathetic or smart. Um, And we place these values. And so, and I, and diet culture is what helps create eating disorders because people will do absolutely anything to be thin because we live in a culture that values thinness over everything else. So diet culture is the same thing. If you see only thin models in an advertising, that's because they're, they're using thin bodies to sell, um, you know, an unattainable dream. And so diet culture is everywhere around us. Diet culture is, you know, people, when you order something and someone says, oh, do you really want to eat that? Do you, are you sure you, you don't want a salad? That's diet culture. Diet culture is saying foods are good or bad, or this food is guilt-free, or this food contains guilt. That's diet culture. Diet culture is a system where we are not in touch with eating attuned to our body, where we eat candy because we feel like eating candy, or we eat a salad because we feel like eating a salad, not because we're punishing ourselves. Talk to me more about um, diet culture in like advertising. Um, this is something I, I feel like is just so out there yeah. all the time. I mean, so so the point of advertising is to sell you something. And the way the best ads do that by you not knowing you're being sold something. Mm. Um, and so diet culture and advertising, I mean, it's really almost every ad. I mean, name a company that doesn't use thin models, that doesn't use, mo- you know, models who are like, 0.02% of what the population's bodies look like um, as the, the people in their ads. And so we get this, when you flip through a magazine, you only see one body type over and over and over and over again. And when you're on, when you're watching TV, when the ads come on, you see one body type over and over and over again. And that sends signals to your brain that starts telling your brain that the only way you're going to be loved and valued, the only way you're going to get the guy, the only way you're going to get the job, the only way you're going to get the clothes is if you're thin. And for children who, whose brains aren't fully developed, um, you know, I think it's, it's not until the teen years that the part of their brain that can discern whether they're being lied to by an advertisement that part isn't developed yet. So when you have children watching ads and seeing a specific body type over and over and over again before their brain is fully developed, it is, it is paving the neural pathways that tells a child that they will not be loved unless they are a certain size. Hmm. So that's definitely one of the big effects then of diet culture right. on our kids. Right. So talk to me more about some of the effects um, how about just like on us as grown-ups? What are some of the effects of diet culture that women might not even be realizing that they're having? Yeah, actually, you know, a really big one that, I mean, I used to do a lot and I, I'll, I'm going to admit, I still have moments that I do this, which is checking ourselves, body checking ourselves. Um, I, I know so many women that, you know, we're in a conversation at work or we're talking to a group of people and everyone's looking at us. And instead of being present to that conversation, 
we're focusing like, oh my gosh, is my makeup messed up? Or, oh my gosh, can everyone see the zit on my face? Or, oh my gosh, is mm. everyone, you know, thinking of how big I am or how I've put on weight since the last time I saw them? And that keeps us being present from our life. Um, it happens a lot too with things like job interviews. You know, women are so, we're so focused on our bodies. And the, the, the thing is that our brains can only hold so much information. So if you're thinking about your weight and you're thinking about your makeup and if you've got food in your teeth and you're also trying to think of what does this company do? Am I going to be the best candidate? Do I know all my stuff? There's certain things that are in there that are going to have to get knocked out because you can't, your brain can't hold all of that information. So I firmly believe that we have a society full of women and men who are walking around not able to hold on to all of the information that we should be holding on to, like in school or at work, because we're so focused on our body and because our brains can only hold X amount of information and we're trying to stuff way too much in there. Interesting. So what was it like for you when you first became aware of diet culture affecting you in your life? Like, how did that happen? How did you become aware of that? Um, so it was, you know, I know that when I talk to people, it can seem like, oh, well, here it is. And, and you know, it took me a day and I figured it out. No, it <laughs> took me. It took me years to get to the place that I am now. It took me a lot of work, a lot of education, a lot of reading. And that's why I I want to share what I've learned because I've learned so much. Um, but it, it took me a long time to get to this place because diet culture, I've, I've been living in this society since I was born. Since I was a child, I was told that looks matter more than smarts. You know, I had teachers, I had family, I had everybody, you know, confirming diet culture with me. So it's really hard to break. And, you know, another thing that's hard to break too is that if you have been working all your life to lose weight or to adhere to a certain size or to cure your acne or to fit into society's beauty standards. When somebody says, oh, no, 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 you have to look beyond the curtain. This is just, this is a fake thing that society's selling. It's really hard to go, oh, so I spent my entire life living a lie? No, what our brains will actually try and fight that and say, no, 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 what I believe in is real. And we will fight that tooth and nail because nobody wants to be told that the things they believe in don't exist or the things they believe in aren't the full story. And so it takes a lot of conversations, especially with some people who are so, who want to believe in diet culture because they want to believe that if they lose this weight, that they will be loved. And when you believe that for so long, it can be really a long process to unlearn it. And it's also a process every day. You know, every day we see ads in media that are confirming that a certain body type is loved more than others. And so it makes sense that it's always going to be active work. Um, but I, you know, I came about it because I was trying to tackle my eating disorder and I had to learn the root causes of my eating disorder, which were that society was telling me that fat is, I was terrified of putting on weight and, and that's really where it came from. Got it. So then the question is, how do we manage to have a healthy relationship with our bodies and with our food and with exercise and how do we help our kids do the same thing yeah. in this culture we live in because this this is where we we are at right now so talk to us a little bit about then how do we help how do we help our kids be positive about their bodies how do yeah. we help them feel comfortable with what their body is yeah i mean so there's you know i like to have like just a, a couple rules about the do's and don'ts of 
you know, of being around children. Um, the first one is you, you don't body shame yourself. So the biggest thing, like I, I like using this example of when I grew up. So I, I grew up and I'm, I had a, a mom who just like most moms didn't like her body. And I remember watching my mom, you know, be in the mirror and pointing out parts of her body. And there was one part of her body, it was her upper arms and she really didn't like them. And as a young child, I just remember thinking grandma has those upper arms and I love grandma. Mom has those upper arms and I love mom. And mm. then I started thinking, I have those upper arms. Does that mean my mom isn't going to love me? Or does that mm. mean that I, there's something wrong with my body? Because I didn't think there was anything wrong with my upper arms before. Um, so when we body shame ourselves in front of children, it sends a couple messages. First of all, it sends the message that there's something wrong with you that needs to be fixed. When children view adults and children view parents as perfect, and even children that are in abusive homes will do anything to sort out that their parents are still perfect because they rely on their parents for safety, love, nurturing, food, um, a roof over their heads. And so when we start saying that I'm this broken human being, it really messes up with how a child processes parents and um, authority. Uh, the other thing is that your child, you know, unless they're adopted, that they're a part of you. They're physically a part of you. And so when you body shame yourself, you're also body shaming your child. Um, and the third is, you know, when you body shame yourself, there is a corporation profiting off of that. And you are now teaching your child that they need to give money or buy a product to fix their body and that they're not beautiful just as they are. So the number one thing I like to tell parents is, no bad body talk around children. It's mm -hmm. I, even if you want to do it, you go in the other room, you close the door, you, that's how you do it. Um, and the other thing too, is understanding that children come in different body sizes. You know, we have so many parents that are, they want their children to be thin, but you might not have a thin child. You might have a plus size child and that exists. And that has exists since the dawn of time that we have had different body types. Your child might also, their skills might not also be in their body. They might not be a sports star. They might not be a gymnast, but they might be head of the math team, or they might be the most empathetic, loving, kind person. They may be great with animals. And so we have to really be nurturing children uh, with, you know, all facets of who they are and all of their humanity, not just their looks. And it really starts with the language that we talk about our own bodies and how we mm -hmm. talk about other people. You know, I remember my mom, I was out with her and she pointed out someone's cankles and my mom doesn't have cankles and I don't have cankles, but it made me hyper aware of my ankles for the rest of my life. So oh. it, it was, it's little things and children are sponges and we don't realize it, but it's little things like that, that make the hugest difference. So Dana, I'm going to say something to you and I want you to help people understand what might be a better response than this, because I think it's our gut reaction. Right. Your child comes to you and says, so-and-so says I'm fat. Yeah. I think the first thing out of our mouth is going to be, you're not, no, you're fat. not, no, you're not fat. No, you're not. What impact does that have? What's something else we could say? Okay, so the first the first thing I want to tackle is why why we shouldn't use no you're not fat. Um, 
because when we say that we're let's say what if the child is fat first of all uh mm -hmm. you're basically saying no 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 you're not instead of having a real you know a real view of what the the wide beautiful range that bodies come in uh but when you say oh no no you're not fat you are assuming that fat is a bad word and you are defending your child saying no 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 you're not fat that's like somebody calling you like a you know a bad name and we instantly are coming to the defense to protect our children. But if we start neutralizing the word fat and viewing it as not a bad word, it's an adjective. It'd be like somebody calling your child tall or, mm. or you know, brown haired or blue eyed. And if we start viewing it as it's just another adjective, then we start taking the power that that word has because it's not a bad word. It's been taken over as a bad word, but it shouldn't be a bad word. It should be just another adjective. So instead of saying, well, you're not fat and wanting to protect our children, the best thing to do is, first of all, asking them, why do they think fat is bad to begin with? And having the discussion with your child, like, well, why, why was that hurtful? Who told you that fat was a bad word? And then letting your child know that no matter what their body looks like, you will always love them. Because deep down, the, the, when someone is called fat, they're basically, yes, they're being called a name, but the, what their subconscious hears is, I don't love you because of how you look. And so if when your child comes and they've been bullied or they've been body shamed or anything, if you can say, no matter what your body looks like, I will always love you. This house will always be a safe place for you. I will never turn on you because of your body. That's what I personally wish that I had heard as a child. That's what I know a lot of people wish that they heard as children. Because I was afraid that for me, it was growing up with acne. And I was always afraid that I wasn't going to be loved if my skin was broken out. And I wish I could have just heard, it's okay. Like, I will always love you no matter what no matter what your body looks like. And so that's a really great takeaway. So if your child comes and says, I feel fat, or you know, I wanna go on a diet, or somebody called me fat, instead of saying fat is, but you're not fat, destigmatize the word fat. Mm. And have a discussion with your child about why, why was fat bad in the first place? Maybe find some role models online who are plus size, and then telling your child that you will love them no matter what their body looks like. Yeah. Um, such not the natural reaction, right? No, it's no. not at all. That's not at all the knee jerk reaction and, that would come from our mouth. And I, and I want to say like, I know that this is not the common response or what would originally come. And I don't want anyone listening to feel oh, I've been doing it wrong. I'm a bad parent. Mm. Oh my God, I messed up. We, no one is perfect. I just want to put that out. Life is per is imperfect. It is messy. We go, it's two steps forward, one step back. It's a spiral. It's all over the place. Parenting is the same way. I want you to take the tools that I give you and say, oh, wow, like I can do better. Or there's a different approach. Not I was a bad person before because we need to get, because when we get stuck in shame, we can't move forward. And so I don't want anyone listening to go, oh, I'm a terrible person. I want you to yeah. remove that and just be excited about the possibility of new tools. I love that. I love that. Because it can be really easy to get stuck in what we've done wrong. Yes. Um, Absolutely. You know, which, which kind of prevents us from moving forward. Yes. 
Um, so let's keep talking about parenting for a bit. And then I do want to turn to just ourselves and our, our own personal relationships um, yeah. with diet culture. But so what are some good ways that we can talk to our kids about exercise? What are things to say, things not to say? What should, what should that look like and sound like? Yeah. So exercise, um, you know, exercise is great. Like exercise lowers depression, exercise builds muscles, there's nothing bad about exercise, but it's when we discuss it as a, only a tool of weight loss and weight loss should never be a discussion with children because children's bodies are constantly growing. They're changing. They're going through growth spurts. They put on fat to, you know, they store fat and then they grow, they become thin and lean and thin. They're, they're constantly moving. I mean, children, children should not have to worry about their weight. And I understand that parents do worry, you know, Oh, my, my child's put on weight. There's got to be a way to talk about fitness as a stress reliever and as a fun social activity, because the goal is not that we want kids to exercise because they hate their bodies. The goal is that we want everyone to exercise because they love their bodies. And it's just having a putting a plan into place of, you know, you don't have to go outside if you don't feel like it, but if you go outside, you're going to, you can play with X friend and Y friend. And if you're not feeling great, it releases endorphins, you know, having conversations about the actual physical effects that what happens in your body and your brain when you're exercising and when your heart rate goes up and how those can help you down the road and build strong bones. And they can, it actually shows, you know, studies show that children who exercise score better in math and there has to be there's some relation with with brain function and with uh muscle movement it's it's all tied together you know humans were not meant to be sedentary but humans also were not meant to be running five miles a day or you know weighing their food and so we really have to find a balanced way to discuss it uh that is not with shame because the second we say your body needs to be fixed, that is telling a child that they're broken and that you don't love them as they are. Right, right. I love that. I, that's my goal, actually, for, for the grown women I work with, the idea that we exercise because we love our body, yeah. not, because, not because we hate it. I think yeah. that's really powerful stuff. Yeah. So what about talking with our kids about food? Yeah. Wow. I mean, and that's, and that's the biggest thing. And especially now, um, we have this weird, so diet culture has, has taken on the form of wellness culture. And we now hear good food, bad food, clean eating, clean eating is the biggest clean eating mm. is such a load of bull. And it is, <laughs> sorry, I hope I can, totally say, agree. I hope I can say that, but it, <laughs> it, it, it's, it is just, it's clean eating is diet culture in a new package. And we're basically saying that food is clean or dirty. But when we say that, we say that the person is clean or dirty for eating those types of foods. Yeah. Eating kale does not make you closer to God. Eating a hamburger <laughs> and a Snickers does not make you a terrible person. And we end up saying that you are what you eat. And that is totally not true. And it is totally mm. shameful. Um, and so I, my biggest, my number one thing about food is, is making all foods legal. All foods have to be legal. And mm -hmm. if you don't want your kid eating Snickers every night for dinner, then we talk about 
how Snickers affects our body. What does sugar do to the brain? What does, what does eating all of that do? How does not getting the nutrients from fruits and vegetables and proteins, what does that do in the long term? Or did you eat a bunch of sugar? How do you feel? Do you feel sick? Did you feel bloated? You know, do you feel nauseous? Do you have a headache? It's, it's the physical effects of food, not the emotional effects of food, not the shame, not the guilt. So I'm always saying, you know, avoid describing foods as healthy or unhealthy or good and bad. Uh, because also studies show that when we say that a food is bad, children will eat them in secret because they feel mm. that they're being defiant. And they think that it's something off limits and children like pushing the edges and pushing the barriers. And so we, it turns into like a forbidden fruit type of deal. And we yeah. don't, we don't want that. And that's our brains. It's the same, you know, it's the same thing of, and I'm sure all your listeners can relate. Have you ever been on a diet and it says no carbs? And the second you start that diet, all you want is a loaf of bread. <laughs> that's all you can think about. And that's the same. That's what happens. Our brains do. It's just how our brains work. When you tell yourself you can't have something, you think about it constantly. And mm -hmm. so when we tell kids, you can't have this food, this is a bad food, they're going to go eat it at their friend's house. And it's going to turn into something that follows them throughout their lives of this is, it was a forbidden thing. And so it's really a treat and a one, you know, this, this guilty pleasure experience that I'm going to have instead of it being like, that was a Snickers and I had that, but you know what? I'm really feeling like a, a hamburger or a salad or, or pizza mm -hmm. or something tonight. And that Snickers will always be there. Um, yeah. There's another thing that I, I had, I've been tell another tool I've been using is using the, the term sometimes foods and always foods. And I think mm -hmm. that that's been helpful for some people of we can have a Snickers sometimes, but it's just, it's not an always food there. We have foods that are always foods that we can eat no matter what, because they lead to strong bones and smart brains. And, you know, the sometimes foods are, you know, they're sugar or they're ice cream and we just don't have them because they don't do anything for our bodies. They don't hurt us, but they're not adding anything. They're not creating brain cells for math tests. Yes. I think that that is something that really resonates well with kids. I think they can get that. Yeah. And I think it makes sense to them. Um, I really like, I really like those words yeah. um, to describe food. I think that's fantastic. And I think we need to give our kids credit um, for being able to understand, um, you know, that they, that they want their bodies to feel good. Yeah. One of my kids recently, I was away and I came back and they weren't feeling well and we were talking and they mentioned that they'd had six cupcakes mm -hmm. and I was like, whoa. I'm like, do you think that's probably why you don't feel well? They're like, well, yeah, of course. Ah! Like, they're like, well, why did I do that? And I'm yeah. like, yeah, that's probably not a good idea next yeah. time. Like maybe, maybe two. Exactly. <laughs> like and like, exactly. they totally knew like, that's why they weren't feeling well. well and I think, I th think that though, I think our kids will get things like that. Yes. And, and you know what? The other thing too, is I think that we don't, we don't trust children enough that they know their own bodies, you know? babies will cry when they're hungry and they push the, they push the bottle or the breast away when they're not hungry. Babies are born with intuitive eating and we somehow we lose that as adults. We lose trusting our own hunger and children are still in tune with that. And so a lot of times we also make kids feel bad when they want a snack at 3 PM or they want dinner at, you know, they want more food after dinner. And it's like, your child is listening to their bodies. And if we can honor that and help them honor that and help them really find out what foods they feel like eating and, and be in touch with their bodies, 
I think yes. we're raising children for success. I think we're setting children up for successful relationships with food in their bodies. And I think that one of the reasons we struggle with that as grownups is because we have come so far away from yes. the ability to do that. Yes. And intuitive eating is a skill that we have to reacquire and yes. it takes time and effort to do that, yes. that it's hard to understand that our kids actually come by that naturally mm-hmm. until it, until it's beaten out of them yes. <laughs> like by society. Right. Absolutely. And, so- and, and, you know, and I think this is a great thing to bring back to talk about diet culture for a second is we have gotten so far away from that because of diet culture and diet culture is what has gotten us away from looking at a baby and saying, wow, that baby's hungry. That baby's not hungry to us going, am I hungry? And if I eat, should I eat? And do I need to look up the latest Yahoo article on telling me what foods I can eat now? Mm. You know, and another, another example of diet culture is every article that says, well, almonds are in, no almonds are out. Avocados are in, no avocados are out. And we have become so untrusting of our own brain because we are constantly being told information that something is good and something is bad. And in all honesty, if you look at the footnotes of those articles and you look at who is sponsoring the research, it's either the avocado industry is sponsoring it or the anti-avocado industry is sponsoring it. It's all about profit. Mm. None of this stuff is being put together to make you healthier. It's making you crazier. Yeah. Yeah. So let's, let's turn the conversation then away from parenting and kids to our own bodies. Yeah. And I think that right there is a good place to start your question about who profits from this. Mm-hmm. When we, when we hear those thoughts, how can we make that more a part of our conversation with ourselves? Um, when we feel these, when we, when we feel ourselves feeling badly about our bodies, how, yeah. how can people do that? I, you know, I think the first thing that we need to do is to have compassion for ourselves when we're feeling bad mm-hmm. about our bodies, because this, you, these thoughts, I, I say this all the time, but these thoughts are not your own. These thoughts have been put there by corporations since you were a child and you're doing the best you can with the things you've been fed throughout your life. And so I don't want you to be like, oh, I'm such a terrible person because I don't like this. You know, you know what? You're a normal human being. You're a normal human being in this society doing your best. Um, but, you know, a way that we can kind of break it up is to go, you know, the, the next time you look in the mirror and you say, oh, I hate my thighs and you go, wait, who told me that I should hate these thighs? Is it because I've never seen thighs like mine in, in media? But that doesn't mean my thighs are bad. Um, is it because somebody made fun of my thighs when I was little and mm. they did that because they were, they, they were just, you know, spewing diet culture. Also, they were also a victim of diet culture and they took that out on me. Um, and it's, it's getting to the root of where we heard these things and then going, oh yeah. And who profits when I don't like my thighs, my gym profits, uh, that anti-cellulite cream I bought profits that laser spa profits, um, the Jenny Craig profits, you know, all of these things profit because I don't like this body part. And it's, it's really, it's, you know, asking ourselves why, 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 until we can get to the root of why we feel that way. I love that. I love that. Um, so you said something a bit ago and it, um, I hear this and it's so interesting to me. People say, and I know I've said it in the past, and if not out loud, at least in my head, I feel fat. Yeah. What do you, what do you say about that phrase? I feel fat. Like, okay. So my very first thing is fat is not a feeling at all. And, and I used to say this, so I am not here to yell at you or demonize you. I used to say this all the <laughs> time. 
but I feel fat. Unless you are with your hands pinching fat mm. on your body, unless you are physically feeling fat, fat is not a feeling. Fat is not a human emotion. Um, fat is a physical, you know, descriptor of a body or it's a noun. And so I like to say like you, when we say that we feel fat, what are you really saying? Are you saying I'm afraid that no one is going to love me because of how my body looks today? I'm afraid that someone is going to bully me because of how my body looks. I'm afraid that I'm not going to get this job because of how my body looks. And so you know, I like to say like underneath every I feel fat is a fear of a loss of love, respect, status, um, money. And we have to get to the bottom of that. But the easiest thing and what we've been taught is just I feel fat. And when mm. we say I feel fat, we are doing ourselves a disservice by not getting to the root cause of how we actually feel. And so if we, if we catch ourselves saying that, what we should stop and say, like, wait, why do I, why, what does that mean? Yeah. What is, uh, you know, I think if, if you see yourself saying, I feel fat, go, wait, what do I actually feel? If fat, if I couldn't use the word fat, mm. what word would I use instead? And this is where I've actually, um, I, I like using actual like emotion wheels. And if you go online, if you literally just search uh, Google image search emotion wheel, you'll get this wheel and it's really, really helpful. And it has, I think the, the six emotions of sadness, surprise, joy, love, fear, and anger. And then you pick one of those and then you go further out and it has even these like these, like if you're in sadness, it has suffering, sadness, disappointment, shameful, neglected, despair, and it goes even further out. And so you start really getting the exact emotion that you're feeling. So instead of say, let's say I was like, I feel fat. No, you know what? I actually feel sad. I actually feel disappointed. And I go further out. I actually feel sorrow. Why do I feel sorrow? And if we know what we truly feel, we can heal it. But we can't heal. I feel fat because you're not going to lose the fat by the next 30 minutes. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. So Dana, both you and I, I mean, we have talked about this. We are women who do, we are both on the thinner side. Mm -hmm. We don't, we are not overweight. Mm -hmm. um, what do you say to people who want to lose weight? How can they still be positive about their bodies? and have a desire to lose weight. Do those things, two things go together in your mind? You know, it's, it's interesting. I, and, and we did talk about this and it, it's not an easy answer for me because I, for two, for two reasons. One is I do believe that under almost every, you know, every need or every want of losing weight, I just don't know how we can separate it from diet culture. Because we haven't lived in a society without diet culture. So I, want, mm -hmm. I, I do have to pose the question. If you were loved at your absolute heaviest, if you knew that no matter what, you'd be loved, you'd be popular, you would get the job, you would, would you be focused on losing weight? And I, I think for many people, that would be a no. Mm -hmm. But because we don't live in that society... That's, and it literally, that is a magic, you know, distant society that I'm hoping that is the goal. That is where I want to work towards. But because we don't live in that society, I can't tell anyone not to lose weight because we do mm -hmm. place value on thinner bodies. We do give respect and more money to thinner bodies. And so it is not my place as a thin person to say, no, nope, don't lose weight. Don't want to lose weight. Yeah. But if we can do it in a loving manner, 
if you can do it in a thing that says, I'm doing this, you know, and maybe I am doing it to adhere to society's beauty standards, but I'm not going to be mean to myself. I'm not going to restrict certain foods. I'm going to listen to my body and I'm not going to weigh myself. I'm just, I want to do it and I want to feel myself get strong. I want to feel my energy go up. I want to do it because I want my endorphins to, to be more in my body. Like if we can reframe it from a point of weight loss, we can still exercise in a healthy and beautiful fashion. And again, I understand that there are people who, you know, I'm sure that they would love to lose weight because maybe it will take some pressure off knee joints or hip joints or back pain, or maybe it'll help them sleep better. Again, I think if we can view it as instead of punishment, if we can do it as love, if we can start turning, it's not about losing the weight. It's about getting healthier mentally and emotionally. And that will also help you stick to working out. That will also help you stick to these days of, you know, when you're not weighing yourself, because you're, you are going to have times where your weight doesn't change. And you know what, you might put on weight because muscle is going to weigh more or, you know, your, your body is changing. And so I just, I just wish we could view working out and exercise as just a way to love ourselves and wanting to be healthier emotionally, instead of just the number on the scale, because the number on the scale at the end of the day doesn't mean anything. So what do you see then as I, I like how you were talking about the idea that that's not the society we live in now, this idea that where weight doesn't matter, but you would that, you know, maybe that's a far distant society. Do you see us ever getting there? And if so, what is the path? Oh, that's a good question. Do I see us? I absolutely, I mean, we have to get there. We, we have women losing their minds. We have eating disorders <laughs> on the rise. I mean, this, what we have now is not sustainable. I do think that maybe it'll get worse, but we have to, we're going to reach a breaking point. Is that breaking point going to be in my lifetime? I don't know, but we're on our way to a breaking point. More and more people are becoming aware. More and more people are going, this doesn't feel good. I'm tired of being focused. You know, going to these meetings isn't working. You know, I'm not able to keep the weight, the weight off. Or, you know, this gastric bypass surgery just made me sick. We're such a sick society that we are going, it's going to change. But I think that change looks like education. You know, I, I don't think that change looks like us rioting to the Jenny Craig office or the Weight Watchers office. I think that change, <laughs> it's going to happen with the next generations. And that's why my work is so focused on helping adults raise body confident children, because I feel like the next generations are where we're going to start seeing the change. If we can instill self-love into children, imagine the self-love that they can instill into your grandchildren and the children, be, you know, that go down the line. And that ripples out because if we can instill self-love and break down that fat is not a feeling with your child, imagine the conversations that they'll have in their classroom. Imagine the conversations yeah. they'll have with their friends. Imagine the conversations they'll have with their children. So I do think that it is a ripple out effect. Um, and I think we just, we have to do the work with conversations and we have to be able to sit with friends and loved ones and have real dialogue about why this language is only hurting us. Yeah. So Dana, I am sure that there will be coaches who will be listening today. Mm -hmm. um, so coaches who help women and men who want to lose weight for all kinds of different reasons. Yeah. What would you say to them? What's your advice to them? What would you like them to have in their minds as they're coaching people? Um, I think self-love, instilling self-love into your clients 
is the number one thing you can do. And in fact, I, I, I think it was Jenny Craig who said that self-love is the biggest weight loss tool a person can have. And I might be getting the quote wrong, but it truly is because once you love yourself, you do things only for yourself through love. You only do things because you love your body, because you love yourself. You emit love. I mean, you're, you know, we, if we can get someone to a place of non-hate, we can get someone who can start sticking to things. You know, mm-hmm. someone will will want to work out because they're seeing their muscles grow, not because they hate themselves. Because shame doesn't work, and self hate doesn't work. And so, I think the number one thing is to give your your clients tools on how they can love their bodies, um, whether that's meditations, whether that's finding YouTube channels, whether that is having them follow Instagram or social media accounts of bodies that look like theirs so they see accurate representation and they see that there's people living their lives who look like them despite their bodies or because of their bodies. Um, so yeah, I think that's that's really the number one thing. And I think that we all need that. We all need self-love yeah. because we're all told that we're we should hate ourselves it's, it's, it's very, it's, it's almost weird when I meet someone and they love themselves. Like, why is that not normal? (laughs) It's sad, but it's true. You know, I like that you gave that very concrete piece there about not just encouraging self-love, but helping to give our clients tools to develop that self-love. Because I think it really is this very amorphous thing like, oh, you should love yourself. You should Mm -hmm. love your body. Mm -hmm. Well, great. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. But I don't. Right. And so like the idea of figuring out ways to help them actually do that. Yeah. I know for me, some of the things that I do are, you know, talking to them about appreciating what their body can do. Yeah. And as they see themselves, you know, accomplishing things, um, it does make them be like, whoa, like my body just did that. Like my body couldn't do that before. And look at me, like, look at the things that I'm learning. Yeah. I think that that's one really good thing. I think also, you know, being able to kind of come to a place of neutrality with their body, yes. maybe before they even get to that, like, I love my body, Yes. but just accepting like, Hey, this is my body today. Like yeah. these are my legs. This is my face. This is my hair. Like this is me today. Exactly. And you know, and I do like that you brought up neutrality because one one argument that people who we talk about body love, they say that's just another thing to fail at. You know, when I look in the mm. mirror, if I don't yeah, love yeah, myself, yeah. that just means I'm a failure. And I it's another <sighs> thing I can't get and I can't stick to. And I do like having the idea of body neutrality. Like it, that's the same thing that I feel with food. If we could just be neutral with food, that, you know, mm. food, no food is good or bad. No bodies are good or bad. And they just, yeah. they are. Bodies just exist. Cellulite exists. Acne exists. Hair exists. Thinness exists. Fat, it all exists. And it all is what makes up the human condition. And if we could just be neutral, like if you could look in the mirror and not have a reaction, how great would that be? Yeah. So it, yeah. it, it, it really is. Yes. And I love body neutrality. And, and I think that's another thing, you know, if you do have patients who are really struggling with self-love, start with neutrality, start with how about yeah. we just don't hate ourselves today. I like that a lot. I think it's super important. Yeah. You know, and I also think those of us who have large social media presences, um, or at least relatively large ones, mm-hmm. or anybody, actually, I think it's important to show up how we are. Yeah. I've been trying to be better about, you know, sometimes I would only show stories if I had my makeup on and my mm-hmm. hair done, and, yeah. you know, like hat on some flattering workout clothes. And so I've been trying to be better about like, okay, this is what I look like right exactly. now, everybody. And I'm going to talk to you right here with my hair that's air dried and, you know, no, no zit cream on. And, and you know, yes. like this is, and I think it's important for people to be able to see 
that we're, you know, this is what people look like yes. we, that we don't, that we don't all look perfect. Well, and you know, it's so helpful too. I mean, even as coaches or, you know, therapists that I've worked with, it's, it's this type of like self-disclosure. It really helps humanize what your client is going through when you can say, you know what? I have also felt that. I have also gone yes. through something similar to that. And it is, you know, society, the world sucks and some days are just going to be sucky. Um, but if we can help humanize what that person is going through, because a lot of times somebody comes to you and they just feel so broken, but they also feel so alone. Like, no one yeah. else is going through this. Why am I the only person struggling? And if you can break that down and say, you know what? I had a day like that. I had a day where I didn't want to be seen without my makeup or, you know, I, I didn't want to do X or Y. And we just go, you know, it really, it really lets someone know they're not alone. And it also just really humanizes what people are going through uh, and lets them feel, you know, less ostracized. For sure. And I know that's a big piece of what we talked about with dealing with our kids too, this idea of empathy and yes. letting them understand like, you know, not that we have to make it be about ourselves. I think it's important when people are sharing their stories, we don't make it be about us, yes. but letting them know that like, Hey, I, that really sucks. And you know, can I, can I tell you, I've been there. You yes. know, like, I, I understand that that feels bad. Absolutely. It's so important. I think empathy is so important. And, you know, also like the idea of letting children know that what they're upset about is an absolute normal human experience. Yes. Yes. I appreciated learning that from you so very much. Oh, it, it often just feels like we, we need to make everything better yes. and let them know how together we are. Yeah. We've got this, but sometimes what they need to know is like, oh my gosh. Yeah. I totally have felt that exact way. And that really stinks. Right. So, right. But, I, and I, but I get it though. Like it's the same thing with, but you're not fat. Like we just want to fix. And, and this is, yes. how, this is how we are as people, as humans, as, you know, not just parents, like everybody does this. We just want to fix, but a lot of times when we just want to fix, it's almost that we want to avoid the pain also. Mm -hmm. So we don't want to dig deep because that can be painful for us. So it's like, if I can just stop this conversation from happening, if I can just say like, it will be better, things will get better and that's it. I don't have to access the painful parts that I remember going through something similar. And it's almost yeah. like a self-preservation thing as well. Yeah, for sure. Well, okay, we're going to take this to a totally lighter spot. Okay. This has been a pretty heavy conversation. Yeah, we're going to we're yeah. going to we're going to do a speed round here at the end. Oh no, okay, it's okay. Totally light, okay? <laughs> okay. Okay, I'm not going to time you or anything okay. though. Okay, ready? First couple are going to be super easy. Hang would you rather hang out in your bedroom or your living room? Oh my god, my bedroom. Me too. Yeah. Just Books my bed. or podcasts? Ooh, um podcast only because I feel like I never I, I I'm always on the go and so me too yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, or, or audio I do a lot of audiobooks yeah me too which kind of makes me a little sad because I actually really like the I like the smell of books yeah. I like libraries I like holding books but I just like I don't have time for that and if I keep waiting for that I'm never going to actually read. So like, yes. yeah, audiobook, well, podcast. <laughs> and I've also noticed that since I'm on social media all the time, that my attention span is a lot shorter. Yeah, right. So, you know, I, <laughs> everything I, needs to come in short first. I'm, I will, exactly. Like if it's not, you know, 246 characters or whatever, I can't, <laughs> I can't pay attention. But I'll, I notice like that I'll sit down reading a book and I just go, you know, I'm like three paragraphs in and I'm like, oh, I, I should check my phone or I, you know, I wonder if I've got email or, you know, and so it's, it's, it's hard. That is, that is a modern day problem oh for sure. God. I totally feel you there. I totally do. Sweatpants or yoga pants? Uh, yoga pants because I, well, I don't know. It depends on what time of year. Maybe, oh, Kim, this is a good question. Oh, I didn't know that was going to be a hard one. This, I know. Okay. <laughs> um, 
let's say yoga pants. Yoga pants? Yeah. Yeah. I'm kind of a yoga pants person too. Somehow it makes me feel more together than sweatpants. That's the I thing. feel like I'm almost sleeping. And that's <laughs> the thing I can sleep in them, but I also feel like they're kind of like pants when I go outside. Kind of pant. More yeah. pant-like. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Online shopping or brick and mortar? Uh, I mean... Oh, I had no idea how hard these things are. Literally, the like I could talk about diet culture all day, but if you're asking me sweatpants or yoga pants, like I, <laughs> I, I lose, I lose all kind of thought. Um, I would say online shopping for things like you know soap and you know just like toiletries and house stuff. But for clothes, I love going into the stores. Yeah, I'm, I used to. I used to love doing that. And now I think maybe it's the attention. It's just the time factor yeah. of doing it. I, I love being able to just click, click, click. Send that all to my house. Yes. And, <laughs> and all the places the return policies down, like I can get it in three sizes, try it on and return the ones that don't yes. fit. Yeah, it's a lot easier. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Well, with your, your past uh, in fashion, I have to ask you some fashion questions. Oh, yeah. Here. Worst fashion trend ever. <laughs> uh, worst. You can fashion. give me your top three if you have a long list. I mean, <laughs> I think I think my my number one was maybe shaving my eyebrows and drawing them in with sharpies. Oh my god! <laughs> Wait, did you actually shave them off? Yeah, I actually did that when I was in when I was in college. I no. yeah, I, I had a, I had a goth phase and I shaved I shaved off my eyebrows and I used to draw them on with a sharpie those really fine tipped no. sharpie pens oh yeah oh my god oh yeah they were they were something else um oh. let's i worst fashion trend you know i think that might that that might be my worst one i think i i did a lot of a lot of funky fashion trends um yeah but the yeah, one that stands out the one. one that stands out was, <laughs> was definitely shaving off for sure i bet Okay, so what's a trend that you think is going to come back in fashion that you wish would not? That I wish would not? Um, I don't know. You know, I, I feel like everything is so cyclical. Um, that it's, it is. It's so strange to me. So I'm 34, and it's so strange to me that, like, the 90s and the early 2000s are coming yes, back. When I'm like, I, know. I just lived that. Like, now <laughs> I know how my mom felt when I was going through her closet when I was in high school picking out her, like, 80s fashion um yeah yeah I, I think I don't know I just I don't think the 90s were very great on fat or the the 2000s they weren't were, yeah I don't think they were great and I find it very and weird that that stuff is coming back I know so um I actually went to go back to school shopping and I was taking pictures of everything and texting it to like my brother yeah. and friends because I'm like can you why are people wearing this yeah. stuff again exactly this is terrible exactly. Like, it was not pretty back then right and actually that early 90s stuff was always so unflattering. Yeah. And, and this is kind of taking it back to serious again. But I remember putting the clothes on and thinking like, this was horrible. Yeah. And it wasn't my body. It was the clothes. And then we had the exact same experience back to school shopping with my daughter a year ago. Yeah. And I had to show her, I'm like, it is the fabric. And like, this fabric is just not going to look good on anybody. Yeah. It's terrible. Yeah. I don't, I don't know why that came back. Yeah, no, no, no. But it's, it really, it really is like all the stuff that's coming back and I'm like, this was, it's just, it's funky. I don't know. I, I, it, it makes me sad that I'm like, can't we move into like new stuff? Like, instead of I wonder if there will everything? be new stuff. Yeah. It feels like it's hard to come up with new stuff. It all comes back eventually. Yeah. I guess just new takes on things. You know, what has surprised me that's back, at least in the, the uh, teen culture, it shocks me. 
are hair scrunchies. Did you know that people oh my wear god. those a lot? Oh my god, I saw someone with it around their wrist the other day, and my mom used to make me scrunchies in all these different yes. patterns. I'm like, I can't believe those are back. They don't. I know. You know, I had a giant. Uh, they don't. I had a giant bag of them that I got rid of, which I can't believe I did. My daughter would love them now. She has a friend who makes them and sells them. She buys them in all stores. She has tons of them. I'm thinking, I cannot believe this is back. I like, can't, yeah, yeah, I can't believe those it, are back. That, that is, I mean, that's just, a, it's so strange to me. I don't think grown women will wear them this time. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I, I'm wrong. I mean, I don't think they looked good when I wore them when I was <laughs> young. I, I will definitely not be wearing another scrunchie. <laughs> if I see a picture of you online wearing a scrunchie, I'll definitely <laughs> message you. <laughs> oh my God, I'm literally going to go burn all the photos of me with scrunch- scrunchies now. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, I meant a current one. Oh God, no, no. If someone, you're out and about in New York City with a hair someone scrunchie. Someone would have to pay me money. I also have, I have so much hair. Would I, that's not going to do, do anything. Yeah, you would need a very large scrunchie. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, last question. What is your favorite word? Oh, uh, it, you know, it's just coming to my brain, empathy, um, because I talk about it. It's such an important tool for me, and it's it, that has really helped me in all of my work. Um, yeah. And I just think that we humans can never practice enough empathy uh, for other people as well as for ourselves. For sure. For sure. So Dana, thank you so, so much for being here today. I really appreciate it. I have enjoyed talking with thank you. Thank you for having me. I think it's going to be me. immensely valuable to people. Oh, thank so, you so much for having me, Kim. You are welcome. Where can people find you if they would like to read more from you, get in touch with you? What's the best way for people to get in touch with yeah, you? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, the best way is my website that, that has all my contact information. It has, you know, it explains the work that I do. Um, it's danasuchow.com, D-A-N-A-S-U-C-H-O-W.com. Um, you know, another thing too, is I do a lot of work on social media and I put a lot of free tools and resources out there. So it's, my Instagram is just Instagram slash Dana Sukow. Um, you know, every, everything is my name. Um, but yeah, I mean, just if you, any way you find me, send me a message. If you have questions, I love talking about this stuff. Um, and I just, I think it's important. And I, I hope that some, everybody listening got some nugget of something or something that, you know, changes your mind or, or gives you a tool to talk about with other people. I just, I hope that we can ripple these ideas out and just keep it going. Absolutely. No doubt. They definitely got a good nugget out of this for sure. Thanks so much, Dana. Um, I will talk to you sometime. I'm sure. (laughs) Thank you, Kim. Thank you so much. Okay. Bye. (laughs) Bye. That wraps it up for this episode of the fitness simplified podcast. Thank you so much for being here. If you enjoyed this episode, if you learned something, if you found value in it, please head on over to iTunes and give me a five-star rating there. It will help put this information in the ears of other people. Thanks again for being here, and I will see you next week on the Fitness Simplified Podcast. Welcome to the Decades of Strength podcast, where we talk all things fitness and nutrition from our own unique viewpoints. Whether you're 20, 30, 40, or beyond, we've got you covered. On this episode, we talk holiday eating. The holidays are just around the corner, and we want to help you to be able to enjoy the season while reducing your stress around food and fitness and staying true to your fitness goals. I hope you enjoy this episode.
welcome to the Decades of Strength podcast, where we talk all things fitness and nutrition from our own unique viewpoints. Whether you're 20, 30, 40, or beyond, we've got you covered. On this episode, we talk holiday eating. The holidays are just around the corner, and we want to help you to be able to enjoy the season while reducing your stress around food and fitness and staying true to your fitness goals. I hope you enjoy this episode.